I want to hear from lots of other people first. But we'll, we'll, we'll keep listening. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Got a very special treat today on the Tesla Q podcast with episode number 13, an interview with Montana Skeptic. We're going to go over his 23 point thesis of why he's short Tesla and see where he was wrong and where he was right or where he maybe was just a little early. So thanks for being here today. If you would like to visit the Shorty store, go to evacuationboy.com. For the rest of January, there's a 15% off discount if you use the code Q15, that's Q15. Also, if you'd like to help support the podcast you can use the square cash app and search for tesla q podcast that's tslaq podcast or you can go to cash.me slash tesla q podcast goes to the same place it would be appreciated if you help support the podcast big thanks to la trilife who has already thrown in some money one thing to note with the cash app is that it only accepts debit cards not credit cards so apologies for that i'm going to be looking into setting up a patreon to better enable contributions to the podcast in the future and with that we're going to get to the interview with montana skeptic Hello and welcome to Tesla Q Podcast. We're recording on Saturday, January 26th, 2019. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, Montana Skeptic. Welcome to the show, Montana. TQ, it's a pleasure to be here. Really enjoy your podcast and appreciate how informed you are. And must say that um, I greatly enjoyed your interview with Tesla charts, and um, if it were possible to enjoy one even more, I thought the one with Phoenix, which I heard yesterday, was truly outstanding to have on a guy who owned a Model S and actually is involved in automobile manufacturing and was as knowledgeable as he was, was simply a a terrific thing to hear. So great work. Thank you for the kind words. Tesla is definitely a subject that is it lends itself to being obsessive a little bit, as as Tesla charts mentioned in the interview. So what we're going to talk about today mostly is the the 23 point theses that you wrote back in I think February of 2018. So we'll go through that point by point, and then maybe have a few more updated questions at the end. So sure, that's great. I wrote that after the. Uh, after the Q1 conference call of 2018. And the context was this, that about when the $35,000 Model 3 would be available, people who had hoped to buy that car with a full federal income tax credit still believed it would be available in a matter of a very few months, two or three months. After the call was over, Tess published something indicating that that timeline was now pushed back to late 2018. It's been pushed back further. It now is unlikely to appear before uh, even the second half of time that for those people who then had been waiting two years and now have been waiting three years, promised $35,000 car with a full income tax credit, were betrayed by a lack of candor. And I thought that was an important moment. And so I outlined in detail key elements, at least at that time, of my short thesis on Tesla. And I had been discouraging people from shorting the stock. I, and I still do. With, I have lots of cautions about that. And I've explained why I use long-dated puts. But at that point, I said, I will discourage people more. I won't encourage it, but I won't discourage it. So that was that's the context for that TQ. Yes. And since that short-range Model 3 is not going to be available before June or July, the tax credit's getting halved again to 1875. So for for point number one of your theses, it's hubris, Elon Musk's hubris. So what what do you have to say about that particular item? Well, I, I think my point was that Elon Musk announced to the world that he was going to disrupt the entire automobile industry. He was going to disrupt it by cutting out the middleman dealerships 
which has turned out to be a terrible idea. He was going to have alien dreadnought factory with uh, robotics, which just turned out to be a truly dreadful idea. He um, he was so fond of insulting other auto companies, calling them dinosaurs and other makers, and calling the dealerships stealerships. You know, the tradition, these traditions arise when they're economically efficient, and he was smarter than everybody else. And, you know, since then, there's not just the hubris, but just a staggering recklessness about his managerial style. You see that with the tsunami of executive departures. You see that, um, you know, with his uh, insulting Vern Unsworth, who was the key figure in that rescue of those boys in the cave in Thailand, when he, you know, called him a pedophile after Vern Unsworth hurt his feelings by saying that, you know, Elon Musk's mini submarine was really a terrible idea as, as Musk could have learned simply by picking up the phone. And then you see him doubling down on that by saying, well, the guy hasn't sued me. And then he triples down on it. And actually on that topic, the letter announcing the lawsuit was filed on August 6th. And funding secured. That tweet came out on August the 7th. It's one little thing that I've noted that might be of interest, maybe not. Interesting. Go ahead and... uh... No, but the funding secured fiasco is far worse. Uh, the, The pedophile accusation puts Elon Musk personally at some legal peril and is a big distraction for him and, of course, undermines his reputation. But the funding secured uh, tweeting where he claimed that he had money lined up for this buyout of the company at $420 with the only contingency being shareholder approval, that has led to an onslaught of lawsuits and a consolidated class action now, and that will achieve some significant momentum, I believe, this year. The potential damages are astronomical. They pose an existential risk to Tesla, all thanks to this man's incredible recklessness. It was an outright lie. The SEC detailed all that in its um, lawsuit against him. He agreed with them when he signed his consent judgment that he could not deny any of those allegations. And in fact, they're undeniable. They're all very well documented. So I add to hubris just a peculiar narcissism, recklessness. Not sure what else you'd call it. Do you think that with some of the, the actions of the last last few weeks with the raising of the supercharger pricing and the ending of the referral program, do you think maybe part of his hubris is finally getting put into check because of the SEC settlement? Well, you know, I, I, I thought it was a mistake for Tesla ever to give away free supercharging. People speculate about why all these changes recently. Um, is it because PricewaterhouseCoopers has said, look, we are going to have to have a going concern qualification in your financial statements if we don't um, have a pathway that we see clear to how you survive the next year? Um, Is it because the company now has a grown-up as its general counsel, Dane Butswinkas, who is going to be much less inclined to play along with some of the games that Elon Musk liked to play? I, I don't know. I really don't know, but I think it was just, it was something Tesla had to do eventually. While it may hold his hubris in check for the time being, I, th- I think the underlying hubris is probably still in place. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. The upcoming quarterly report and conference call to me to me will answer this question: Who is in charge at Tesla? Who is really in charge? Is it the new responsible? general counsel and the two independent directors, or at least one, or is it Elon Musk and the Elon Musk cabal of Jerome Guillen and Kimball Musk and uh, Antonio Gracias. Antonio Gracias. Yeah, exactly. And that's coming on Wednesday, January 30th. If anybody isn't, doesn't already have that on their calendar. All right, the second item is Tesla's valuation, which they they had a profitable quarter in quarter three. So, you know, that's that's obviously turned around now. 
You know, let's talk about that. Um, one of the things I certainly got wrong was I did not believe Tesla could have a profitable quarter in 2018. And they did it in Q3. And um, that's an achievement. A lot of people have questioned the quarter and pointed out that it's larded up with a lot of regulatory credits. And that's certainly true. That the warranty reserve seems absurdly low, and that seems probable. But Tesla did it. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, this week, Elon Musk evidently tweeted out an, uh, something I had posted back in my Twitter days about um, how I doubted Tesla could ever could be profitable in Q3, that they were certain to lose money. So I was dead wrong about that. Um, but let's take a look at what they did in Q3. They had they harvested their very highest ASP or average sales price, Model 3s, all the performance versions, et cetera, some of which they had to refund, by the way, in Q4 mm-hmm. when they cut the price. So they had uh, three years of backlog, and they were harvesting their highest ASP cars. It was the absolute perfect conditions for them, and they had the full federal income tax. Mm-hmm. And yet their profit was $312 million. And that works out to a P-E ratio of approximately, say, 45 to 50, when other auto companies trade between six and eight. You know, as a valuation short, Tesla is a highly compelling valuation short. Uh, I, there's inconceivable that it will ever achieve the growth and profitability to, uh, to grow into its existing market cap. And, you know, already they've guided in Q4. They delivered more cars in Q4, 7,000 more than Q3. And yet they're telling us in the guidance of that email, which was published as an 8K. Anyway, in the guidance uh, of the 8K that they published where they republished their email, they suggested that Q4's profit will be smaller than Q3. Well, now, how can that possibly be if the Q3 results were real? And they said that in Q1... Maybe with luck and good fortune and hard work and lots of things, they might show a tiny profit. Evaluation thesis, which is number two for a reason because it's one of the most important reasons, holds up. This company is hugely overvalued. It has been, and there's no saying when it'll stop, but it's hugely overvalued. Yeah, one of the charts that I've seen from the Bulls has a – has the curve and it has the cumulative losses over time and then they draw what they call as a they call it a trend line but it basically ignores all the losses historically and extrapolates the the profit from quarter three and then just has it ramping forward from there and doesn't doesn't take into account that they cut sgna to bare bones for quarter three and then all these other factors that that are key to the story let's see if they republish that after q4 <laughs> and then that, Q1, right? Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see. Right. So number three was the Valley of Death, which uh, you were referring to the end of the federal income tax credit and I think some of the other subsidies that Tesla's been taking advantage of. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that Elon Bachman character on uh, Twitter who calls Tesla a subsidy truffle hound, okay? And, and it is. Tesla seeks out subsidies everywhere it can. Of course, in California, it's gotten hundreds of millions of dollars of tax abatements. It got the free factory. It has the transferable tax credits and cheap electricity and free land in uh, in uh, Nevada. But when you look at Tesla's um, history, anytime it loses a subsidy, its sales fall off a cliff. We saw that in the state of Georgia when they cut back the state subsidy, in Hong Kong, in Denmark, most recently in the province of Ontario. And, um, and, and we're seeing that again right now in the United States. The FIT credit has been cut in half and sales have dropped to, I don't know, maybe 15% of what they were in for. Yeah, that, that drop is something that I think is – almost unbelievable to the Tesla bulls, but there are people out there that are looking at the delivery centers and getting actual real world data. And the drop off seems to be like far, far more than even the bearish 
the most bearish people imagined, I think. Well, there's a couple of factors. Of course, January is traditionally slow in the auto business. I'll give you that. And undoubtedly, you should expect sales to be pulled forward by the expiration of the credit, and they were. And so the question is, when, if ever, will they recover to the level? But I think the biggest problem is that Tesla has exhausted its order book of higher ASP Model 3s, and it will never again in the U.S. achieve the level of sales it achieved in um, Q3 and Q4 unless – in fact, it's exhausted its order book of medium-range cars. It is only that unicorn, the $35,000 Model 3 with tax credit that could save the company, that could – well, not save it – that could reignite the uh, demand. All right, moving on to point number four from the thesis. Batteries still cost too much. Uh, this is a point that I haven't really dug too deeply into, but I don't know if you have, Montana. So uh, let's let's say this is to be determined. People make claims about what Tesla's total battery costs are without any data to back it up. Um, the, a big problem for EVs in general is that batteries are, you know, costly and are not nearly as energy dense as um, petroleum products. And once that's solved, I mean, there's a huge compelling case for EVs to to uh, take over the transportation industry. Stick to my guns. If batteries really cost so little as the bulls insist, why aren't we seeing um, Tesla offering the $35,000 car? It's a great it's because question. They, they cost too much. That's why. Mm-hmm. And the the weight issue is a that's essentially a matter of physics. The weight of the batteries takes away from the payload that can be pulled by the the semi. So I, the Tesla semi may be dead on arrival just based purely on physics, regardless of the battery cost. Yeah, the, the Tesla semi is completely phony specifications. Well, that's another point in the thesis, but. You, you, the battery density issue simply hasn't been solved. And moreover, Tesla is locked into this uh, these gigafactory agreements with Panasonic that require it to repay Panasonic for all of Panasonic's equipment investment at the gigafactory, which has been several billion dollars. And, you know, when people talk about the sell cost, they may be ignoring all that depreciation that Tesla is going to have to pay Panasonic as the equipment gets worked off. Or they may just be talking about cell costs, not including the other costs of assembling. Uh, Yeah, batteries are still too expensive. Tesla has not cracked the code. There hasn't been a significant breakthrough. In fact, you could argue that the architecture that they have, the uh, cylindrical cell, is has fallen into disfavor. And by shackling itself to Panasonic, Tesla has shackled itself to an outdated uh, architecture for battery cells. All the, most of the other EV makers want to use the pouches, not these cylindrical cells. Yeah, on, on that topic, I think there was an announcement that Panasonic and Toyota might be starting a joint venture, and I think it was for prismatic cells, which is different from the cylindrical, and you can pack more in. I think I think Phoenix mentioned that in our interview uh, from earlier this week. Yeah, seems very significant to me, and I, I was fascinated to hear Phoenix discuss it. So number five on the list is that the Model S and X growth stories are over. So do you still believe that's the case? So I think I'm absolutely right about the Model S. It's uh, I think they delivered fewer units actually in 2018 than they did in 2017. It's a car that came out in 2012. Its interior is tired, to say the least, and was never all that great. The Model X has become a better-selling car than the Model S, but <clears throat> its sales growth is, is you know, microscopic. Um, I don't see them being able to grow Model X sales much further. And now, with the arrival of the I-Pace and certainly the e-tron and the offering from Daimler that's coming later in the year or early 2020. EQC, maybe? Mercedes EQC? Exactly, Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's right. S and X um, never made money for Tesla. They are the high margin cars, of course. They soak up a lot of the cost, but there's no appreciable 
sales growth. And in fact, now we know Tesla has cut back its uh, X and X forecasts for 2019 to something like 60,000 cars. So 100,000 last year, 60,000 this year. That is the very opposite of growth, right? Is driven by the elimination of the 75 kilowatt versions. Yeah, that was just They're the best-selling versions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why did Tesla do that? It had to have a reason, maybe to push people into the uh, higher-priced Model 3s. Because, you know, Tesla has a take-or-pay contract, essentially, with Panasonic. It has to buy all this output from Gigafactory. Remember, the S and X cells are made in Asia. Model 3 cells are made in Nevada. And it's the Model 3 cells that Tesla has to eat and um, I think they realize, I mean, let's just pause for a moment. Tesla probably received discounts from all these eager parts vendors by promising them an output of Tesla thought it was going to be selling 10,000 cars a month. So if Tesla's now obligated to buy parts from all these vendors and sells in particular from Panasonic at 10,000 a month, and its actual sales rate ten thousand a week, I think. Excuse me, ten thousand a yeah. week, and its actual sales rate is you know, less than half of that. That's a cash flow catastrophe that I think Tesla is facing. It's, I mean, it's it's the the Q four cash balance will look very healthy, but boy, in Q one, if if uh, they're selling so many fewer cars, and this virtuous cash flow cycle reverses, and they have to keep buying all these parts from vendors, and they have to pay that $920 million convertible um, on March 1st. It's grim. They absolutely have to raise capital. Mm-hmm. All right. Number six on the list is cuts that were taken with the Model 3. So you want to talk about that a little bit, Montana? Sure, I would I would encourage everyone to listen to your interview with Phoenix, who I thought did a terrific job of pointing out how Tesla shortcut the production parts approval process that other OEMs invariably use, how it performed hardly any line validation, and how its beta testing was tremendously shortcut. The car got very little testing in, for example, cold weather. Which is why today you see people in the frigid parts of North America discovering that they can't charge their cars. It has no battery. The battery management system has to cut off when the temperatures are freezing. I think the Wisconsin Tesla Motors Club Model 3 people had to cancel their meetup today because they're worried that the cars would all be bricked if they actually tried it. Um, the, the reliability problems reported for this car are stunning and multitudinous and entirely predictable. And uh, it is, it, it, you know, it is, it is a, an exercise in brand destruction that Tesla engaged in by rushing this car out. It had the most loyal, dedicated fan base imaginable. It had people dying for these cars, worshiping Tesla. And now the experience that they're having is they they have a meet, instantly have problems with pieces falling off the bottom. The fit and finish is terrible. There are um, uh, problems with the motors, problems with the batteries. It's impossible to get parts. They can't serve center appointments. No one wants to repair the bodywork when the cars are damaged because Tesla is so poor at, at getting parts out. So, um, yet the Model 3 shortcuts have come back to hurt the company in space. And in fact, this car, which was to be the company's salvation, is instead Tesla's damnation. I think that will prove to be the case. Yeah, and at the same time as they're reducing their warranty reserves, that's not a good combination. And one thing that I think maybe wasn't as easily predicted is just how much the batteries have degraded in cold weather. I think the most egregious thing that I saw last weekend was that uh, someone had 19 miles of charge and went to a supercharger, and it was going to be four hours and 50 minutes to get to a full charge. It's it, those just, are, they're just nightmare stories, aren't they? Yeah, that I I just can't fathom that. Tesla's but. best defense is, hey, how were we supposed to know? We never tested the car rigorously in cold weather. <laughs> best defense, but also the worst defense. Yeah. 
All right, moving on to number seven, Tesla lacks the required logistics infrastructure. Well, you know, I didn't think, I thought Tesla would really struggle to deliver more than 3,000 a week. It proved me wrong. It delivered in Q4, I think, an average of about 4,600 a week. And it it did it by saying, well, we don't have the logistics for it, but we'll just go ahead and deliver them anyway. And, you know, that it's paying the price now. Uh, Ed Niedermeyer is up with a great story at The Drive, and he Harken back Elon Musk's promise in mid-October. I think Musk wrote something like, hey, I, I just realized we have major gaps in geographical coverage. Wow, I'm so sorry for this foolish oversight. I aim to get all this uh, patched up in the next three to six months. Well, we're three months down the road from that, and Tesla has exactly zero additional service centers that have opened. It's likely, I think, that it will open four or five in the next three months, but it's still going to come nowhere close to uh, the promise that Musk made. And of course, he, he'll say it wasn't it wasn't a promise. I just said we would aim to do it. That's <laughs> always the excuse. But the company, the fundamental problem is that this quote growth company is spending nothing on growth capex. No growth in superchargers. Not nearly enough to you know, support the extra cars they're putting on the road, not nearly enough growth for service centers. Their infrastructure is not growing as fast as it needs to. And of course, they're starved for CapEx uh, on maintenance, never mind, for example, develop the Semi, the Roadster 2, the Model Y, the pickup truck, all these splendid things we hear about. So yeah, I'm sticking my number seven. All right. Number eight was the wrong car at the wrong time, which is basically talking about the fact that the Model 3s and sedans are kind of not the not the most favored type of vehicle right now. Well, they're not. You know, Tesla Bulls will say, well, we were the number one selling sedan in our premium class in the United States, ignoring, of course, the cars that are really comparable, like the Honda Accord or Civic or Toyota Camry. But um yeah, I, the, the fact is that the addressable market for sedans is shrinking while the addressable market for crossovers and SUVs has been rising. And that's a headwind that every sedan maker is sailing into uh, to stop making the Impala and the Malibu. And you see Ford saying we're done with sedans. And um, that's why if and when Tesla announces a Model Y, um, it will cannibalize further their model three sales. It's a real big danger they have. They have to walk that tight. The $35,000 Model 3 is basically a unicorn. So I yeah. don't know if there's much more to think about that one. But Well, I guess there's this to say. The biggest lie Elon Musk and Tesla ever told was the promise to all those 400,000 people lining up in March of 2016 that they would be able to buy a, a mass market car costing $35,000 and have a full federal income tax credit to go with it. And in California, of course, further state rebates, et cetera. But that lie led so many analysts upping their EPS estimates and forecasts and price targets. It is the foundation of so much of Tesla's capital raising, and it is total bunk. The company will go broke. It can't make the car at that price. And, uh, you know, Tesla may have ways to weasel away from the securities fraud that is so obvious there. But it is the stunning, overwhelming lie of the entire company. That's what I'll say about it. And wasn't that reveal, that product revealed directly before a capital raise? Time-wise? I'd have to go look at the time. I know highly likely. There have been several capital raises since then, and they're all premised on this idea of this enormous Model 3 demand. Mm -hmm. 420,000 reservations perpetually. <laughs> Although they've stopped touting that number. Yeah. I mean, number there, there may be several hundred thousand people out there still ready to buy that car. It's simply that Tesla can't deliver it and won't deliver it. Mm -hmm. All right. Number 10 is that Tesla is structurally bankrupt. Yeah. And here I was, I pointed to an analysis done by uh, somebody I used to collaborate with at Seeking Alpha, who calls himself CoverDrive, very smart auto guy. And CoverDrive felt it would that Tesla could not show a profit in any quarter in 2018. 
and he was wrong and I was wrong. They did it, I think we've discussed this in Q3 and, and hats off to Tesla. But as the email that they published earlier in that 8K just a few days ago shows, they are structurally bankrupt. They have run out of orders in North America. And as you know, TQ, from following this, their order Europe is pathetically tiny. Their order book in China is reported to be only in the hundreds. There's no way they're going to make money in 2019. They're, they're, they will lose a billion dollars or so in 2018, and they will lose close to that amount in 2019 if things go well. So, yes, I think I was wrong. They were able to show that profit. God bless them. Salute them. Congratulations. But they remain structurally bankrupt. All right. Number 11 is the insurance costs for Tesla vehicles. Yeah, um, these cars are very easy to build. They're very expensive to repair. The uh, car owners are discovering they find themselves in loaners much longer than they expected. And the insurance costs have, there have been constant complaints about how much it costs to insure a Tesla, a Model S, Model 3. They're a lot higher than other cars in their, you know, class. And and there's a reason for that. It's because Tesla does an abysmal job of supplying parts and it's because the cars are damaged so easily. So yeah, that's a problem. All right. The next one is No Country for Auto Manufacturers, which just talks about the fact that Fremont is not the lowest cost place to, to make an automobile. Yeah. Well, you know, you take the the bitter with the sweet. The sweet was they got a free factory. The bitter is that it's a very expensive place to work. And um, there's a reason why other auto manufacturers are not in California. Tesla's story was, well, we're a tech company. We're the Silicon Valley way. It's not working out so well. I do have to tell you, I feel very sorry for their factory workers who are basically living on subsistence wages, working in tents where they didn't even apply for safety permits, evidently, you know, uh, there's a real disregard for human capital in California at Tesla. Mm-hmm. All right. Number 13 is semi-silliness, talking about the Tesla semi. Oh, I mean, the Tesla semi, like the Tesla pickup truck, like the Tesla Roadster 2, come advertised with these astonishing specifications. In fact, Tesla will be unable to achieve those specifications, certainly at the promised prices. And the people who believe this nonsense are the same people who are impressed with the Hawthorne Tunnel or or the the star hopper that just blew over in the wind at Boca Chica. How much longer are people going to continue to swallow all of the empty promises that Elon Musk feeds them? He's been able to get away with it for a long time. But the only people putting down reservations on this semi, as far as I can tell, are big corporations that wanted to be able to put something in their annual reports about how environmentally responsible they are. And it sounded good at the time to associate themselves with a you know, company saving the earth like Tesla was. Yeah. And on the topic of the semi, I'd just like to point out that there's an, another company also named after Nikola Tesla, but it's Nikola Motors, and they have a hydrogen fuel cell powered semi and they were taking deposits for it but they actually refunded deposits because they had enough cash to continue their development process so just a very stark contrast between the way that company seems to be operated and the way tesla seems to be operated from from my observations and you know daimler mercedes has ev trucks that are out there right now Um, not semis but trucks and um that or smaller for shorter hauls that are uh, actually things you can buy. That uh, you, you won't see the Tesla Semi in 2019. If you ever do see it, it won't be with the promised price and specs. I'm confident about that. Yeah, I think there have been two prototypes made so far, and one of them they put a red vinyl wrap on to, I think, to make it seem like they had three. But yeah. it had the exact same license plate on the front of it. So that yeah. was that was interesting. All right, number 14 is the Nevada mistake, where you discussed the battery architecture. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. Yeah, we already talked about that. So the, anything else? The, well, the, the real dilemma for Tesla is it's it's got to buy a lot of cells from Panasonic 
it better have places to put them. So, I, I mean, I think that's a lot of the reason why we see Tesla discontinuing the 75 kilowatt hour S and X. It needs to move people into the Model 3 because it's got to soak up those cells. It's in a world of hurt, and I have to think at Panasonic, somebody is really unhappy right now about the decisions they made to get in bed with Tesla. Yeah, I, there's been a lot of speculation, and it may may not be provable, but a lot of people on the Tesla Q side seem to think that part of the quarter three immaculate quarter may have been that Panasonic provided some retroactive rebate to Tesla. Yeah, I have no idea about that. But that's all speculative. So yeah. moving on to number 15, the solar roof tile fantasy at the Desperate Housewives set. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I thought it was phony from the start. It's the, maybe the second biggest lie Tesla ever told. The, the first big lie was the $35,000 Model 3, which propped up so much of their capital raising. And then in order to um, give a, the push needed for the Solar City acquisition, which was, you know, it's just a shame bailout, uh, Elon Musk got up there and, and promised that this solar roof tile was going to turn the company into this fully integrated company where you would put these beautiful solar roof tiles on your roof and they would charge up your power wall in the garage and your power wall would then charge up your car and you would be driving for free and this was just such a brilliant thing and it's all total nonsense this product had been tried before by other manufacturers far more capable than tesla it's unclear whether it's being made at all or just made in tiny quantities but it's never going to amount to anything mm -hmm. number 16 is the tesla energy bust which is talking yeah. about the stationary battery products i guess this as much this is this just goes to show the gullibility of the Ben Callows of the world, right? Because Ben Callow was just eating it all up in 2016 when Elon Musk was saying, yeah, by 2018, we'll be have three to $5 billion of revenues with margins of 15 to 20% in our energy product. And none of that ever came to pass. Um, the energy storage business is highly commoditized. It's highly competitive. Tesla's energy business is inconsequential. And if it contributes hardly at all to profitability, if indeed it contributes at all. So the Tesla energy story is really a story about the gullibility of four or five truly idiotic analysts who uh, have sacrificed their integrity because they want to believe in the religion of Tesla and the uh, divinity of its CEO. Yeah, and on, on that topic, I'll just say that my personal opinion is that there is a small market out there for demand shifting of the electric grid, but it's it's a small part. The cost of batteries is is prohibitive for most of that. So No, no, there's certainly a market, but look at the number of competitors Tesla mm -hmm. has. The idea that it was going to achieve those margins and those revenues was simply uh, fanciful. Now, you know, maybe with the, the problems they have in Nevada and all the extra cells, you'll see them start to discount some of these Powerwall or Powerpack products to try to move those batteries. They have to do something with all those cells. It'll be fascinating to watch. Indeed. All right, number 17 is the autonomous driving fairy tale. Yeah, this is another sad, sick lie where Tesla had that famous painted black video and talked about how it would have full self-driving and Elon Musk was going to drive across the country. And uh, people like Trent Eady at Seeking Alpha wrote articles about how Tesla is the leader in this field. And Kathy Wood at ARK Invest said, Tesla is, this is worth $3,600 per share of value because Tesla is the undoubted leader in this field. And in fact, Tesla has had to pull back its full self-driving claims. It's evident that full self-driving is a long way away for anyone. And it's evident that Tesla is a laggard in this field. I mean, there's research by Navigant showing Tesla is something like 19 out of 19. So yeah, Tesla, I think the last quarter was instructive when you saw Tesla finally stop making such um, exaggerated claims about its full self-driving capability. Yeah, and 
I don't, I'd like to know how they try to square the prior things that have been said about having all Teslas sold, have all the hardware needed for full self-driving. I, I think I remember hearing that a year or more ago. That's That was another huge lie. All these people that bought the full self-driving suite um, you know, in say, uh, let's say you leased it for three years. You have three years where it will never be available. And you know, Tesla now faces lawsuits about this, and will continue to face more of them. And uh, it's just another example of Elon Musk's mouth creating contingent liabilities and risk for his enterprise. Yeah, but squaring that comment with all the hype that they're trying to put out now about their chip that's going to replace the NVIDIA chip 10 or 100 times more frames per second or whatever they can read, those two things just don't jive in my brain. But Yeah, well, I- the, the bulls believe Tesla is a chip manufacturer. Um, it, it'll, it, they have yet another surprise coming, I guess. Probably. <laughs> uh, number 18 – China is not happening for Tesla. Now, yeah. this this is a thing that maybe is with, with news of the last month or so. How do you feel about this item? Well, I may be wrong. Maybe China is happening. Right now, China is a 15% tariff on any car Tesla wants to import. And I think at the end of February, that goes back to 40% unless we have some breakthrough, which I hope we do, of course, in these trade wars. I, um, it, it might only be 25 it, I, okay, 25, I think I remember in 25%. Yeah, so it, um, in all events, it's lower now than it will be at the end of February, barring some breakthrough, and I'd love to see it zero. So tell me about that Shanghai uh, factory. We we see work done there. We know Tesla has leased the land. It's never published in 8K. We don't know where the financing is coming from. I assume there are enough prominent Chinese communist officials associated with the project that they can dictate to the banks that the banks shall loan money to Tesla, not that Tesla needs any more debt. But let's say it actually happens, and we do see an 8K describing what the arrangements are, and Tesla starts building its car in China. Well, it it will be building a car into the most competitive EV market in the world. And the idea that the Tesla Model 3 is going to take China by storm and become profitable, let's just say, to be determined. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to number 19, Europe. It's about to be a shrinking story. Yeah, so. well, it's a shrinking story, all right. Um, I, I pointed to the charging standard Europe adopted, and there is a underway right now a massive electrification effort in Europe using this so-called CCS charging standard that the EU adopted. And I think what it does is it makes Tesla supercharging less special. Supercharging was a huge advantage for Tesla. And um, when you replicate its charging networks, and in in the case of Europe, they're not only going to replicate it, but they're going to far exceed it. Then the idea that Teslas are special because they can be supercharged goes away. And what's really stunning to me about Europe, more than just the new charging standard, is how tiny the order book is for the Model 3 over there. Another example, with the Netherlands tax advantage now disappearing, the sales in Tesla's historically second most important EU market are just falling off the cliff there as well. Mm-hmm. I've seen some reports of approximately 16,000 European orders for the Model 3 so far. Yeah, the estimate is, uh, as I recall, 16 or 17,000 with a go-forward order rate of something like maybe 11,000 per quarter. I have to believe Tesla will do better than that, but it, it's dreadful right now. The, the European story is really bad, and it will be fascinating to see if um, Tesla divulges its European order book next week, mm-hmm. if anyone asks about it. Because obviously, the prospects of the company in 2019 depend heavily on that. But uh, no boring boneheaded questions are allowed. So, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Talking about charging, to get a comparable 20 to 30-minute charge rate for the Tesla Semi would require something like three megawatts of charging, which is just an insane amount of power to be putting into a vehicle at one time. It, it is insane. Remember also that Musk talked about having solar-powered mega chargers for these semis. <laughs> I mean, 
Give me a break. The, the land area needed for that would just be absurd. Yeah. All right. Moving on to number 20, competition is coming at the high end. Here you talk yeah, about I mean, competition at the high end, at the low end. I-Pace and e-tron. The, the I-Pace, the e-tron, the, the Kona, and the Nero are really good cars and have gotten really fine reviews. And, um, of course, you know, Tesla has competitors with Leaf and Renault. And it simply isn't the case that Tesla is the dominant EV player in Europe anymore. It's way, way down on the list. And the problem for Tesla is that its high margin cars are the ones that are going to be targeted by really superb offerings from Jaguar, Audi especially. Porsche just upped, just doubled its projected production on its Taycan so uh, I think from like 20,000 to 40,000, that just cuts the guts out of margins for the Model S and X. And that's why you see Tesla, I think, throwing in the towel and saying, well, we're only going to build 6,000 this year and, you know, cutting it back by 40%. And, you know, that it, it cuts margins. It cuts into your deliveries. It, when the Model S and the X ruled the roost forever as the luxury EVs and that, they're just going to be the grandma in the rocking chair very soon. All right, that covered number 20 and 21. 20 was the high end, and 21 was competition at the low end. So moving on to number 22, inadequate reserves. So this was about the warranty costs and the warranty reserves that Tesla's been setting back. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned supercharging in particular here, and we see them now raising the, the cost of supercharging because it is, you know, it's another one of those contingent buried liabilities that the company has, which, by the way, will complicate any acquisition. I used to think, well, there's no way Tesla could actually go to zero. The company or something, some white knight would come in. Larry Ellison is good at, at producing white knights. But any white knight that would want to buy this company short of a reorganization would have to take it with all these uh, liabilities for supercharging with the fact that the reserve is very understated on warranty costs and with all the contingent liabilities of the Securities fraud lawsuits with scores of lemon law lawsuits. You know, how you really complicate the ability of somebody to come in and rescue Tesla and put it under proper management and focus the company on the high-end EV, which is where it really belongs. And mm -hmm. so the inadequate reserves is just part of that. I, one thing that I've wondered about is if they are reserving enough for their referral program, too, which they are ending as of February 1st. Yeah, all those people who think they're going to get a free Roadster 2, there has to be a Roadster 2 before you get a free Roadster 2. Mm -hmm. That would be fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's definitely something to watch. All right, number 23, the final thesis point is the Model Y. Too little, too late. So. Yeah, well, we, the Model Y is here. It's called the uh, Hyundai Kona. It's called the Kia Nero. It's now we saw that Audi has a beautiful little e-tron it's going to be putting out. So in other words, by the time the Model Y ever gets here, and I think Tesla said early 2020 or late 2019, which won't happen, but let's say they get the car out in 2020, it will come into just ferocious competition. You know, it's a shame that they did the Model 3 instead of the Model Y. And it's a shame, of course, that they did the Model X at all when they could have been hitting the market with a car that would have taken it by storm. But, yeah, I think the, the Model Y can't save the company. And it cannot be the big fundraising, interest-free loan vehicle that the Model 3 was. Because, first, people don't believe Tesla anymore and its timetables. They were burnt badly with the Model 3. They'll doubt the price. They'll doubt the timetable. And second, you know, even if they do go for the Model Y, that would probably cannibalize a lot of the Model 3 deposits they now have. So mm -hmm. there you go. All right. So that's the 23 thesis points. So now do you want to talk about the upcoming earnings call on Wednesday? I, I, I guess I would just say what I said before. It will be to me, it will answer the question, who is in charge of this company now? Is it the grown-up? And I think Dane Batswinkas is truly a grown-up. And the, this Linda Wilson-Thompson, if that's her name, excuse me, Kathleen Wilson-Thompson, the new independent director, how independent is she? How much to look at Tesla and what he stepped into, decide that uh, it's time to restrain Elon Musk? Or will it just be the same business as usual? Will we hear a conference call 
where Tesla filibusters for the first 30 or 40 minutes about safety or about computer chip and then uh, evades any uh, good questions it gets from the analysts and calls on people like Ben Callow or Romit Shah or one of the reliable shills to uh, ask the questions. Galileo Russell. Galileo Russell. No, no offense, Gally. Nice um, kid. Nice kid, but uh, hopeless. So thinking of those two scenarios, which do you think would be better for the bear case? I, in some ways, both scenarios would be good for the bear case, I feel like. Yeah. I think the best one is for Elon to keep being Elon. That's the one that's best for the bear case. Because, you know, to me, responsible management has always been a big danger to the bear case. Mm-hmm. So that would be more towards a potential future chapter seven than a chapter 11, but who yeah, knows what will actually happen. TQ, I, when you have some of the finance people on, I hope you'll ask them about this. It seems to me absolutely imperative for Tesla to raise capital in Q1. It's just, it's going to be too close to 1 billion in cash by the time you get past March 1. They have way too many projects on their plate, and they have a Model 3 that's not going to be a moneymaker for them. They they need capital to move forward. I was stunned that they didn't do it after that Q3. I don't know what the reasons are. People have speculated. But um, how do you raise money? Who trusts Elon Musk anymore? Is James Anderson at Bailey Gifford still uh, enraptured with this you know, lying fraudster? Uh, what about the people at Fidelity? Are they willing to ch- chunk in some more change? Is Ron Barron really looking his investors in the eye and telling you, sure, he lied about funding secured, but I, I have faith in his management style? I don't know. They absolutely have got a raise in Q1. Will it be a private deal? That would be very bearish. So it's it's a fascinating next two and a half months. Yeah, and then throw in the December 17th Wall Street Journal article about the use of SpaceX resources for the Boring Company, that has to add to people's trust, right? You know, there's a rumor, and it's pretty well sourced, that Peter Thiel may have leaked that information to the Wall Street Journal and that he is fed up to the gills with having Elon Musk pick his pocket. So, yeah, that'll be fascinating to watch as well. Mm-hmm. Well, TQ, thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Evacuation Boy. Good luck to both of you. Thanks for being on. And with that, We'll wrap up this interview, and anytime you want to come on again, Montana, I'd be glad to have you. I want to hear from lots of other people first. We'll 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 keep listening.